So it's encouraging to see everybody talking. And somebody, it's, 10 minutes is probably not enough. You could talk about it for hours. So let me ask you, um, openly gay couple begins to come to TCC. You would know, have y'all, uh, have y'all... Have y'all had this experience? Have, has TCC, have you seen individuals who are openly gay coming to TCC, or has that happened? Have, have, have you seen openly gay couples or individuals come to TCC to try, to try it out or visit? Sean's shaking his head yes a little. Okay. Um, So how would you want that couple to be received? What are some practical ways that you would want to be a part of? Because I know various passions that I have for people, I've seen them at my church, and I really am drawn to want to be on the front lines of greeting them or responding to them. And it's different for everybody. So what might be the ways you think they would and how would you want them to be received? Not everybody at once. Yeah. Hi, my name is Gladman. And I would say a couple of things uh, just in terms of what you were talking about, them knowing they've been listened to. So I, I would go introduce myself. I see I've not seen you before. Who are you? Um, it's good to have you. Yeah. Just knowing that we want you here. Yeah. Uh, that's important, I think. Um, yeah, not who are you as in, yeah, so who are you? It's, you're gay. I I'm so glad you're know, here. Yeah. <laughs> I, want, I, want to, I want to know right. more about you. Yeah, so really, probably, hopefully a lot like anybody else would, right? Yeah. And that's one of the reasons I've asked that because some people are wondering, well, is there a different response or should, you know, and really there shouldn't be, right? Um, I can create more conversations than I can vanish. Um, is there, are there barriers that could exist in a church that would, that would prevent that couple from feeling immediately comfortable at that church? Are there things you can do to remove those barriers? Or do you feel like TCC's in a good place? I think like the nature of being in this cultural climate is that we tend to react out of fear, even if we want to react out of understanding. So. I would say, even though I would hope that we would all interact normally, having been at a different church um, with a friend who started coming, who is a new believer and was very flamboyantly gay, he got avoided a lot, like just, or just kind of overly, like, bless your hearted, you know, like just not, not engaged like you would just engage somebody else, mm -hmm. even if maybe people wanted to be more engaging. They weren't comfortable. Yeah, they just weren't comfortable, sure. and I think probably out of fear or just not knowing, like, yeah. what to say or how to 
interact. So probably even though we want to all think that we would react really normally, maybe I think a roadblock would be just that our human nature would probably lead us to kind of like look around. Gotcha. Maybe. So they're drawn to the poor and the oppressed, and that emphasis that is here. And uh, it's one of the things I love most about this church. Um, who wouldn't be, right? Um, so they inquire about small groups. So they're, they're, they have some religious understanding of church, right? And they want to maybe get to know some people. Um, what would, what would you, how would your community group receive them? Uh, would there be any difference among initial conversations um, or what might start to happen over several weeks? Would y'all talk about how your community group could love and minister and how you would react? And yeah. um, I guess the questions that pop up in my mind are more... Um, if we have people who visit small group who aren't believers, there's always, to a degree, a little bit of an elephant in the room of, like, as you're covering things in Scripture, just knowing it's like, how are we going to, you know, broach this topic of, I know that we are going to disagree with this. I know that, you know, you don't have the spirit, and that until you do, you're not going to understand this. So I guess there's also questions, is this openly gay couple, are they affirming the gospel? And, like, are we able to agree on you know, 90% of, you know, what scripture says, or is it they're unbelieving and they're, you know, and they're living a homosexual lifestyle? Yeah. So I guess that the more detailed the situation, the, I guess, you know. No, that's good because it's good for you to think through. And I want to say that we talked a little bit about, I didn't emphasize this enough. One of the, uh, <clears throat> so we're writing an ebook right now and part of that's called uh, Loved and Beloved. And we want to say that there's a difference between those two things. That God loves all people. They're created in his image. And so even if someone stands outside the community of faith, they are the loved. God loves them. And I don't think we always look at it that way. But they, they, they are loved by God. And he wants them. But his love for them is different than his love for his bride. The beloved. Right? And so ministry conversations and ministry to the loved and the beloved will be different. And the way you love the loved and the beloved will be different, right? Uh, and so that's something very much to think about in terms of how we approach individuals. I would say, Robbie, for the context of the question, they probably are and increasingly are affirming the gospel. And I want to say it is really one of the great apologetic questions. And it may seem so clear for people scripturally, but my friend Matt is one of them. I know him. We were in seminary together. I, not just headiness, but I know that guy loves Jesus. And he's getting married this two months from now. And so what do I do with that? Right? I mean, what do I do with that? I, I don't believe he is walking in truth. But he doesn't deny the gospel. He affirms it. So can we affirm the gospel and yet walk in ways that are contrary to it? So I look, think of Romans where he's, Paul says, may it never be. How can he who died to sin continue to remain any longer in it? 
but then there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so that's, it's hard. It's hard. And will those things, the fact that it's hard, prevent us from just loving the beloved and the loved first well so that we can get to those more difficult conversations? Or do you have that conversation on the front end where some might say, hey, man, I love you, but there's no need in us going down community together if we can't be brothers and sisters together, which sounds harsh, but it, what, I mean, what should you do? That's fine. There might be more questions than answers. So I just want to say, um, I've just, it's really encouraging thought process uh, for me in even other categories. I was talking about with a group, like with a coworker of mine that's not a believer. Um, it's, it's a different issue. I mean, he's he he lives with his girlfriend, and he's not a Christian. He doesn't claim to be, but he was talking to me how he wanted to join it. They wanted to go to a church just because they don't know a lot a lot of people. And I was just I was just thinking about this. I've I've invited him. He knows like I'm not. He, he knows that we're kind of not in the same place. And he he does, he and I've encouraged him. You know, you don't have to believe the same things that we have to believe. But I don't think I've been really intentional about, I mean, I, in, in our small group, I don't think we've done a super good job. I don't think in my heart I've, I've looked at unbelieving friends as in the same way of just like wanting to bring them in and live and just like put them into our group and have them be a part with us and going along. I think I've struggled with this view of seeing them as a project. I mean, not, not just mm-hmm. people that struggle with, or not just gay people, but yeah. unbelievers in general, just right. like, I want my coworkers, I need to be sharing the gospel with them so that I can, like, win this prize or whatever sure. for, for God, which is so, so or ridiculous. Be yeah, and, and I, I don't know, I've just been really convicted for, with that, so thank you. I think, too, Dahadi Lewis, who's a pastor of Blueprint Church in Atlanta, Georgia, and part of the Verge Network, uh, man, he just changed my paradigm when he, when I went and listened to him talk about his home, and I use that phrase, he said, your home is the single greatest weapon for the gospel. And then Tim Chester's A Meal with Jesus, right? Who doesn't want to eat? Who doesn't want to sit down and be in community and eat food and share life together? Who doesn't want to do that? You can do that with everybody. And, And that leads to a lot of vulnerability. Meal breaks down, food breaks down some barriers, right? And so I just, I just think it is such a good opportunity just to say, hey man, come to, come to my, you know, come to my home, come to my small group. Uh, we'd love to have you. What you need in small group is it just a Bible study? It's so much more than a Bible study. It's people trying to live life together. So just, we'd love to have you, you know. And it's not just you inviting them into your bubble here, which is not bad. But it's saying, let's, let's invite you to a way we can do more life together. And then this is like the fruit of that, you know. So, so we, we didn't necessarily get to um, about the baby dedication and membership. And uh, it, it dawns on me, and it is true, those are uniquely elder conversations to have with you and how... Uh, 
Uh, Sean rebuked him. No, I'm just kidding. He didn't. <laughs> but no, those are, he, he makes a good point. Those are things they would love to talk about, but those are things that are, would be dressed with you as a body, with the elders, and saying, how might you respond to that? Um, and so, um, for the sake of time and a plethora of questions that you've asked, we really want to get to those questions. And, uh, and so, this case study was just more to provoke some thinking. Uh, and, uh, and the question has been asked, will the slides be available? Yes. Yeah, we'll make the slides available to you. Um, and, I, and at the end of the slide, I'll try to put some of my sources because I tried to be open and tell on myself that all of this is not just my unique thinking. They come from a variety of sources. So I want to show you where you can get all those things. So yeah, we'll do a move into a time of questions. Okay. Um, I'm just going to need to uh, do a spontaneous poll here. Um, do you need five minutes? Are you ready to roll into 25 minutes worth of questions? Because that's what we got. You okay? I see some roll on. Okay, and I see it's, some it's, five it's minutes. Troopers, troopers. Okay, here's the way it'll work. I will give, and if you don't have to get up, don't do it. Because you know, once we start moving, we're a 10-minute break all of a sudden. So if, uh, if you got to roll, I'll give two to three minutes for a sprint to the bathroom and back. We will start at uh, 12... Uh, 08. It's 12.05. We'll start at 12.08 with uh, all of these questions. So that'll give me time to gather and give you time to text me. I'll put the number up on the screen, um, and that way uh, we can ask enough questions. Sean. So if you got a roll, do it. Yes. I just want to say to you, if you're not getting up, uh, just to say, we specifically in designing this, uh, the, the typical conference, we do three sessions, and we go to one, and we have a lunch set up. But we designed this to say, let's finish at lunch, and I encourage you to go to lunch together and continue the conversation. And uh, I mean, I'm, I can't go to lunch with everybody, obviously, but I'd love to go to lunch. Uh, and uh, so uh, we encourage you to go to lunch and just continue this conversation together and have the freedom of doing that on your own time and whatnot. Yeah. Talk amongst yourselves. Two minutes. How are you? Yeah, I do remember. in the bathroom. Um, my husband wanted me to say hi to
three mediums. It's just, just for the anonymous question asker. Yeah. You good, girl. Test. Hello. Hey, everybody. Are you on? Okay. Let's uh, take some time to answer some questions, because I'm assuming we have a lot. I have at least uh, 10 or so sheets of paper. I have about four or five texts. Um, and on some of these sheets of paper, I have four or five questions. So that's not to mention those who didn't want to write on a sheet of paper and text me because they want to ask it out loud. So the way this will work is I will uh, try to walk us through just... I've tried to gather them together via subject matter um, or general uh, kind of question theme. And uh, we'll ask him to Dan or I'll weigh in on some of them. And we'll just, if you have a, a burning question in that general area, um, then I want you to uh, feel free to raise your hand and I can call on you that way. Okay, so if you've got a question, just wait for a microphone so that uh, Ben can bring it to you. But without further ado, let's get going so that we can get to as many as possible. Uh, the first one I think uh, that would be helpful, Brother Chapel, uh, would be uh, dealing with uh, the issue of transgender. So we've had a lot of questions about um, how is uh, transgender this issue um, to be treated? How is it maybe anything different in regards to what you've said about same-sex attraction? And specifically, uh, could you... Um, clarify the term gender dysphoria. Yes. Uh, so gender dysphoria, and some people would say gender confusion, um, and the reason why confusion may not be helpful is because uh, someone may say, I'm not confused about a thing. I'm very clear on what I'm experiencing. Um, there's still going to be debate about dysphoria, but simply that that's a more clinical term that's being used uh, in the psychological world, but uh, or psychology world. But gender dysphoria is given to someone who um, persistently uh, is experiencing the a different gender than what they were assigned at birth. And I want to say a sign, not like we went, hey, male. But a sign being, uh, I was born a boy, right? And biologically, I'm a boy. But as I grew up, not me, I'm just, this is just a uh, scenario. But as I grew up, I increasingly began to live, be at odds with my assigned gender. And not even increasingly, but consistently over time. And persistently, this became more of a reality so that uh, it's not just about playing with dolls because those are cultural realities uh, that we need, honestly, to die to. But uh, it's the real belief that someone is not the gender they were assigned. And so they're experiencing confusion over that or experiencing dysphoria over that. And so when counseling psychologically they may say we want we can either secular way you can transition at this point to the gender you believe you are who you are through gender reassignment uh, or you and find congruence with what you feel to be inside 
or you can manage the dysphoria and choose to believe that your being male is what, how you will stay and you will manage that dysphoria to the greatest level of comfortability that you can find without transitioning. Those are kind of the options that are available to a person just in a practical way without talking about the you know, biblical counseling. But saying to somebody, this is not how God made you. You need to stop it. it, it it's not, it doesn't work. That's not helpful. Um, and so, um, and so I think too, there's a level of the love involved here where, so, you know, Bruce Jenner is our biggest example of this, at least entertainment wise, although Bruce Jenner's, Jenner's nowhere near the first person to uh, walk through this, um, but uh, Bruce Jenner calls himself Caitlin, right? And we've walked with a family that when we came into the counseling situation with them, uh, their uh, daughter of 25 years had decided she was going to transition to become a man. And she had written the family about it, and the family had responded in such a loving way that uh, they, they, their daughter was upset about dealing with this and talking to them about it. And so they, they cried with their daughter, right? And they, they listened and really asked her, please explain this to us and walk us through this. And then they went out like good parents do and got every piece of literature they could get and just read and read. But what they didn't do first was speak. And Paul Tripp in uh, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands has a method of counseling, love, know, speak, do. And so they loved well, and they sought know well, meaning understand. Try to listen and understand. So that when they speak, they're doing it from a place of love, and they're doing it from a place of understanding. And then and only then do they ask their daughter to consider something different to do. And they did, at this point, beg their daughter to not transition. Um, but she did. And they had to deal with the fact that, in a real sense, their daughter, I hate to say it this way, is, is, is dead to them. Like, their daughter doesn't exist anymore. Their daughter is now a boy and has renamed herself. And... So what they chose to do is recognize that. They don't agree with it, but you can't, it, it happened, right? And so they wrote a long letter to all their friends and family, and they told them the process that they walked through with their daughter, and that now they are choosing to love their daughter, who is now a son. They're going to continue to love him with the gospel, and she's asked to be called this name now, and they asked everybody to respect her wishes and call him what he's asking. Is that a denial of biblical faithfulness? I don't believe it is because nothing has changed about their convictions and their beliefs. They're just put in, let's just be honest, an impossible situation, and they're trying to do the best they can to be faithful to Jesus and love well without losing any contact of a relationship that could exist. And so if I've seen people go, Bruce Jenner will always be Bruce Jenner. 
I don't care what he calls himself. Is that, I mean, is that, you know, is that helpful? Is it really helpful? And if you did have the opportunity to have a relationship with him, um, her, uh, probably recognizing who she says she is is the best way to move forward and have some level of relationship, you know? But that doesn't mean you don't believe in who God made them to be. It's a, it's a, it's a very difficult... And if, we, and if we believe the gospel is real, I think we do, and if we believe God changes people, there are going to be people coming into parents and coming into church offices and coming to friends saying, I transitioned five years ago, and Jesus just saved my life. What do I do? You better have an answer. Uh, and it, you're only going to get a chance to have that question asked if you sought relationship. And so, you know, God's going to change people. He's going to save people that have transitioned. What are we going to ask them to do? I think that's helpful. I really do. Um, the question, it's been asked before, Should the question would be framed, should we call Caitlyn Jenner Bruce or Bruce Jenner Caitlyn? Um, and just, we talked about this as pastors, just the framing of the question puts it as a moral right and wrong mm -hmm. as opposed to a freedom issue. Should we means there is a right and there is a wrong. How can we best love them or talk to them? Dan and I have talked about this. Their greatest need is not to take a certain name. Their greatest need is to attach themselves to a certain Savior. And so how can we get them to that Savior and begin to show them their need for Christ? When he invades their hearts, that's when, through enlightened lenses, we can talk through what it looks like to be faithful where they are. Does that make sense? What it looks like to be faithful. But I would agree with Dan. That family should have told their daughter that this is not God's design. God has given them a gender that is meant to be delighted in and not bucked up against. It doesn't mean that their desires aren't real. It doesn't mean that their desires aren't a real struggle and valid, but it also, I have desires that I have to turn against every single day. It's just different than those desires. And so I think we have to begin to acknowledge their struggle as a real struggle. Know, love, know, then speak. That's Jesus, Matthew 7. Before you look at someone else's log in their eye, then you are the speck in their eye. You take a look at the log in your own. Learn how to love understand and then you can speak so but I do think that it was right for that family to speak sure. and say this is not right this is not God's design that's what a parent should do and with that they did they said please understand we do not take for granted what we're asking of you because we can't imagine to be experiencing what you're experiencing but we want to look and this mother was so sincere she said we want you to know we will be with you Till your dying day, we will do anything and everything to walk with you and help you. We hear you. We affirm you. We do not deny what you're experiencing. And then that's loving. And that was not easy for them to say, you know. Um, and their daughter 
son loves them very much to this day, knowing that they disagree. And I don't think they could have done it any better. Yeah, and I've, I've seen this lived out before me with the family we lived with in Minneapolis. There was uh, a son that was, he wasn't struggling with gender identity or with same-sex attraction. He was just in love with the world and in a band, traveling the East Coast, getting drunk, etc. And that family would continue to invite their son to eat meals, would regularly engage and pursue that son. Just like this family obviously regularly engaged and pursued their daughter who um, was seeking an identity shift. So um, I think it's the same sense that you're just engaging this person. And with the story that I'm telling about the pastor in Minneapolis, the son eventually turned and came to Christ. And it was that that family kept that door open that I love you, I'm pursuing you, I'm here for you. You know where I stand. I continue to share the gospel with you, but I am showing you the love of Christ. So Hopefully that's helpful because this is, gets into the question of how do you love the loved and how do you love the beloved? How do you love the people that don't love Jesus but who are loved by God? And how do you love the people who love Jesus but still struggle with these things? And uh, one question that uh, is very common in this, and Dan, I'd love to throw it out to you, is what does it, uh, what, and I like the way the question was phrased in terms of what is appropriate um, and we would articulate that this, as elders, we would articulate this as a not a should or should not, not a right versus wrong, but a freedom category. Is it appropriate to attend weddings or baby showers as an expression of love but not acceptance? What would you do, someone with same-sex attraction who's now getting married, what is appropriate? How would you counsel someone? Yeah. Um, so it's worth noting there's, there's freedom in this issue. Uh, it's a question that we as a ministry try to steer clear of because, as a, not, not, not personally, but we as a ministry, uh, like publicly, people, we've gotten asked a couple times from the Dallas Morning News, uh, and I really wanted to because I want my ministry to be known. And, uh, but I didn't, I didn't answer the question because we didn't want to get involved in the cultural debate. This is a practical question of Christianity, personhood. Like, so what I may do and what somebody else may feel convicted to do is it can be different. And so I really believe you should obey your conscience as unto the Lord. And I really believe, and I say this, it's kind of like, duh, but I believe we should truly be inviting the Holy Spirit into our lives to speak truth to us and lead us in these very difficult places where it's, it seems to be gray, right? Where we have what we see seems to be conflicts. Um, so I say all that to say um, I, I personally, uh, depending on the situation, would go. Um, uh, Matt is is my friend, he's getting married in a couple months. I can't go because the wedding's in Argentina, uh, so that makes it real easy. Uh, but the question is, would I if it was here? Because yeah, he's from Texas. And, um, and Casey and I struggled because when I found out about it, he didn't tell me uh, I found out. And so do I, because I, I try to write him once a week or so, and so do I say, hey Matt, 
I heard you're engaged. Congra Do I say congratulations? I don't, I don't mean that necessarily because I don't believe this is for his ultimate flourishing. So do I ignore it? Uh, that's not loving. It's, I mean, it's hard. And so, um, and, uh, so I'm, I've, I've ignored it to this point, just to be honest with you. Uh, but if I was asked to go, the re our relationship is as such, Matt knows where I stand. So I would view my going as a support of our friendship, not standing up for the marriage. Historically, my mom and I talked about this. She goes, going to a wedding means you're standing up for the couple. And I'm like, that is true. Historically, that is really always meant that. It doesn't really mean that culturally anymore. It's you're going in support of your friend, and there's the bride side, and the, you know. So I think that you can go. Should? No one can say you should. In fact, I would think probably... Uh, for many, more often than not, the answer will be no, out of conscience. Uh, and if your conscience is confused about it, I would say you would err on the side of saying no. But Sam Albury said something really good, which is let your no come with an invitation. That says, you know, I don't feel like I can go, and I hope you understand where I'm, where I'm at on that, but I want you and your husband to come, or you and your wife, I, we would love to have dinner with you. Will you please join my wife and I when you get home? Or, and so let your no come with an invitation and don't shut the door down. Um, uh, baby showers, um, I kind of view that the same way I view when I was a youth pastor and we had uh, a, one of our youth get pregnant and um, the deacons told me if we had a baby shower for her that we were celebrating unwed mothers. And I, I disagree. I think we're acknowledging the fact that there's a woman that needs support and she needs we can't we got to be more than pro-birth people right uh and we got to be willing to say no matter what the circumstances are here the government gives you the right to adopt children and we want to see that child loved well so we're not showering you we're showering this child and so yeah i, I would go i mean but again conscience as unto the Lord, should lead in that. And I think, uh, I think that's important. And, and it's the same thing with baking cakes. Uh, religious liberty is a, is a real thing. And the law in the United States does give you the right to seek an exception in the least restrictive way. That's the legal language. So Kim Davis in the marriage license, she did have a right under, under the law to seek an exception. Now, I think that's a different question as to how we should posture ourselves in reality. I, I don't think Kim Davis would have been violating the law uh, to give marriage. I mean, she would not have been violating the Lord to give the marriage license in her job. I would bake the cake. Uh, if I was servicing the limo that was going to be driven to the honeymoon, I would still service the because. I just believe that that's not me tacitly supporting something I don't agree with. That's me living in a world where depravity is what it is and we are going to be met with a thousand choices on any given day to, to love people or push back and say, I have rights. And I really believe that the method of Jesus was to lay down his rights 
and say that I will, I will, I will die for you despite the fact that you're living in opposition to me. So. I think a couple of things with what Dan said that are helpful. One is I hope you hear the assumed sense of relationship in there, meaning should I go to this, should I go to that? Um, it was embedded with he knows where I stand. Mm -hmm. Did you hear that comment? Um, there's a sense of we've had this conversation in private. They know who I am. They know what I think is right or wrong. They know what the Bible says. And therefore, I think if it is a conscience issue, I agree with what Dan said. If it is a conscience issue and, and your conscience is still pulling you back, don't go. But if there is a sense that you feel inclined to go and that would be good to support them, I think that's a wise way to let your support be clear. And that is that you've had that relational conversation. And then what you do with your, your body when you go, that's... Um, you know, I think that would be a way to support. Uh, the other thing is just uh, politically speaking, I think, um, you know, I, I do not talk uh, politics. Um, so that's just how it rolls. Um, <laughs> I, I talk about what's going on. But I think Dan is in a unique position to say what he said. And I think what he has said is right. And I would neither uh, condemn Kim Davis nor necessarily commend as one is the godly way and one is the non-godly way. Does that make sense? So um, I think Dan was really careful and really right in saying uh, what he has said, and this is a freedom issue at that point and a conscience issue, and that's where, as much as we want law in these situations, we are commanded to walk by the Spirit, and that won't always be a clear law that applies to everybody. So um, we've just and consistency is important. Yes, for that's us right. as Christians, to consistently want all faiths to have the same rights that we seek, not because we agree with all faiths, but because we believe in religious liberty. That's good. Last question. I really hate it because um, there's thousands here. And Dan will stay, stick around. I'll be around if we want to talk some more. Um, in a minute or two at most, um, parents talking to kids. We've had a lot of parents asking that question. How should I talk to my children? Now, this is not the question of my child is expressing they desire, they have same-sex attraction or they uh, are tempted with gender dysphoria. The question is preemptive or just the conversation as these kids look out at their world. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And I want to say, too, we may do this differently than there's freedom and differences of parenting. Uh, but we're in a unique position that all six of our kids are adopted. So we've had to walk through how do you have difficult conversations at a very early age. I will just say that our method of parenting is to just choose to always be honest with our children, and appropriately so. So there's levels to the conversation that you're not going to have until a certain age. But I believe that you should acknowledge it as early as is possible for them to understand. And so we've had this conversation uh, with Zoe, who's six, seven, seven. Um, and so Zoe's seven, and she said, uh, Daddy, that's, that's not right, right? And I said, well, honey, it's not what we believe will lead to their joy. And so we try to build in very consistent things to talk about in every area, and one of those is that choosing God best is to choose ultimate joy. And so we want to ask the question and frame it and say, what would give 
God glory and give you joy. And we talk about glory and joy. And so then we're able to say, is that what would give God glory and joy? And she said, no. And I said, exactly. I said, but what do we always do? And she said, we treat them like we would want to be treated. Exactly. So I don't want my son or daughter to become a little Pharisee. Uh, but I want them to know what. So I just believe in being honest as early as you can and acknowledge what you see and don't avoid culture, but talk through culture with your children. I think that's right. That's beautiful in terms of it's a conversation. And honestly, it's not just this issue. It's not just the issue of same-sex attraction and gender dysphoria or gender identity. It is how do you deal with unbelievers? How do you deal with the kid who's outside and he's saying language that you don't want your kids to say? You either, A, pull them away from all influence in the world and you shelter them. That won't last long because they will, they will get out in the world um, one way or another. Um, or you process it with them. You walk them through it. And I think mission calls us to be distinct from the world. This is a quote from Keller. Distinct from the world for the world. Which means, yes, we're set apart. The Bible frames who we are. But we engage lost people. And uh, so then we have to process what it looks like to engage that lost world with our kids. And honestly with one another. And that's what we hope this was. This was an ability to say, how do we engage our neighbors with the gospel? How do we love them in a way with integrity? How do we understand this cultural tide that's sweeping all over the news? How do we understand it in a biblical framework? And so hopefully this seminar alongside the sermon that I preached in late 2015 that walked through a lot of biblical passages and what the Bible says specifically about uh, same-sex attraction and active uh, pursuit of a homosexual lifestyle, hopefully those will be helpful in equipping and in helping us to know where to draw the lines and where not to, where love endures, where love speaks. Um, it's, it's a lot of wisdom talk. It's a lot of following the Spirit. But we will be up here for uh, more questions. I'm so sorry we couldn't get to all of them, um, but it has been a joy uh, to be with you. And I just want to uh, pray for Dan and uh, this ministry and I want to pray for you guys, and uh, may the conversations continue uh, to roll. So let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so much that for anyone who professes faith in Jesus Christ alone, for the forgiveness of sins, anyone, they can be saved and set free. And the promise of you being with us and not against us applies to that anyone. But it only applies to those who are humble and who repent and who seek to walk in a way that is pleasing to you. And so whether the struggle is gender identity or same-sex attraction, whether the struggle is um, heterosexual or homosexual lust, whatever it is, I ask that we would take our struggles to you. And that we would believe that you and your word and your people, they are your means of grace to help us to walk in faithfulness. I ask that the level of holiness in our lives would rise and the level of love would extend even deeper. That you would give us wisdom on what it looks like to be patient and what it looks like to speak in. Help us to be those who love well, who know and seek to understand, who then speak and who seek to act on behalf of others. I pray now for Dan and the Identify Network. I pray for Casey. 
I pray for their kids. I ask that you would protect them from the attack of the evil one. I ask that you would shelter them under your wings, that you would cause them to regularly pursue you and know you. And Father, I ask that you would bless this ministry. I ask that you would create open doors, and I ask that you would just extend your word and your influence through Dan in a way that makes much of your name and brings many people to faith in Jesus Christ. So please, God, now use us as a church. Use us. May these conversations make us more like you, I pray. And we ask this in Christ's glorious name. Amen. Amen.